0: Today, we are having Dr. Stephanie Estima. She talks about the better body as being the geeky goddess guide to intuitive eating, balanced hormones, and transformative sex a chiropractor by background. She is an expert in functional neurology and she brings us really compelling, compassionate intersection of health and physiology with an application to the world of entrepreneurship, high achievement, and frankly, those women who are ready to set the world ablaze. My guest today is someone truly incredible in the health and functional medicine world. Dr. Annika Becca is a triple board certified obstetrician and gynecologist, and she is just an all-round awesome woman. On the podcast today, she's gonna share with us her own personal journey and story that really shifted for her the mindset and acknowledgement that lifestyle has to play, not only in terms of our health, but actually healing our bodies at a very deep level. We're gonna get into the nuances of how we actually enable women to breeze through perimenopause, menopause so that we can truly harness this incredibly powerful phase of life. This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship mindset and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. Dr. Anna Kabeka, welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. Can you give us some background in terms of who you are and, and how we got to where we are today, where really you are a leading expert in the world at helping women transition through the various hormonal phases of their life? Yeah,
1: well, you know, just a a quick note is that I got here because my own traumatic story, right? (laughs) It's our mess becomes our message type of situation in in so many ways to be uh, serious about it, Megan, it's been a journey, you know, a life's journey, loving, helping and supporting women and women's health. And from, you know, watching my mom suffer with cardiovascular disease when she was 52 and I was 16, and thinking there is just recommendations that are being made for her that are based on studies made for men. So at an early age, I became really passionate about solving uh, women's health issues and standing up for women in this arena. And that led me naturally to be a gynecologist and obstetrician a woman's health physician through the lifetime, right? So, it's such a blessing. I mean, from teenager, from teenage girls through, you know, geriatrics, through, you know, the entire lifespan, I was able to care for generations of women. And as an expert, Emory University trained, right, one of the best institutions in our nation for training in gynecology and obstetrics. I started my own practice, Southeast Georgia, and um, post-traumatic event led me into Early menopause at age 39. And so, this is where I was, you know, a hormone expert. And you know, I'd been studying, I'd been even studying bioidentical hormones at that time for nearly a, a decade. And I had nothing in my doctor's bag to help me. I was told I was in early menopause and with premature ovarian failure or premature ovarian insufficiency. I was told I would never be able to have another child again. And this was devastation upon devastation because you know, part of our story is that I, I lost, we lost our son in a traumatic accident and in 2006 and he was only 18 months old and I was still breastfeeding him. And that threw us and certainly my body, mind, soul, and spirit into trauma, grief, and as you can imagine. And so that also, one thing that just struck me was that the, the amazing, as I can go back and intellectualize now, but the amazing fit, physical changes that were occurring too, from breastfeeding one moment to never having another drop of breast milk. And for any woman listening who's breastfed, you know that if you miss a, bre- a feeding for 10 minutes, your breasts are engorged. And so those changes you know, just left me wondering and in odd how physiology can change so quickly. But when you're given a diagnosis of menopause or ovarian failure infertility, you don't think there's a way to solve it, right? We're giving this is your diagnosis. That's it. It's like a sentence, a death sentence for me at that time and for my family. So I went on a healing journey. I actually, turned my medical practice over to a physician colleague, and we traveled around the world for a year, and um, and just serendipitously, honestly, meeting healers from. All different uh, specialties from Native American shaman to an Andean philosopher to some of the world's top scientists in New Zealand, Israel, and Europe. And so I met and I learned, and, and lo and behold, reversed my menopause, reversed my infertility, and at age 41, delivered a healthy baby girl. And so that, you know, the child I was told I would never be able to have. So, that just opened my mind and my medical practice to a world of opportunity and where there weren't solutions for me, I created solutions for others. It started with my product, Mighty Maca Plus, which is a combination of superfoods, including maca, that I believe really helped me and, and now helps so many others, right, to balance adrenals, to help with the stress factor. But what I learned, Megan, is that even though I could physically heal from this, at least I thought I physically had healed from the trauma, reversed the early menopause, the PTSD was still under the surface. And what I now know is that women who have had trauma, adverse childhood experiences, you know, either everyday stress or, or post-traumatic stress, during this period of the perimenopause are vulnerable for additional symptoms, neurologic symptoms, endocrine symptoms, so hormonal balance, mood issues. And this PTSD for me was just under the surface all the time, which led me to burnout, essentially. And even though I was, I thought I had all the hormonally, I had all the pieces of the puzzle together. So this is where I say it takes more than hormones to fix our hormones, right? It absolutely takes more than hormones to fix our hormones. And we have our minor hormones, which sadly are our reproductive hormones. And then we have the major hormones, which are cortisol, insulin and oxytocin. Through this time, I shared with you before we started. I mean, come 2014, 2015, I I, um, stopped my medical practice to devote time now as a single mom post divorce to take care of my kids. Was in near bankruptcy, making some pretty poor decision making, and I and I shared when I was on stage, you know, uh, before you spoke at futures of health i shared you know you remember that time i was engaged i mean i was making some poor decision making and so that can can that can include our relationships right and my children post divorce one in elementary one in middle and one in high school our relationships were really struggling all girls mama daughter battles certainly going on but there was more to it there's a physiology to that and i was i was as i was in the state i you know the brain fog the memory loss the agitation if that wasn't enough i hit 48 and 5 10 20 pounds crept up again despite not doing anything different when i i heard that from so many patients and early on in my medical career i'd be like really you're not doing anything different surely you're doing something different right like an extra candy bar not exercising as much more sedentary well, liter- legit, I was not doing anything different. And so, and I had been over 240 pounds at one time, lost 80, 90 pounds and kept it off for nearly a decade. And then these pounds started creeping back up. With that, I thought, oh my gosh, when will this weight gain stop, right? Because if you've been heavy and lost the weight, and then all of a sudden you start stamp. Gaining the weight again, you're like, oh my God, when will it ever stop? So I had that fear. And that took me into um, embracing um, the ketogenic lifestyle. But then, you know, I would get keto crazy, is what I call it. And I go into detail in the book. So hence the keto green is my solution to that. The alkalinizers, which include, you know, nutrients, high quality, micronutrient rich, alkalizing vegetables like greens, charred. Cauliflower, collards, beet greens, all of those things are really sprouts, are all very, very alkalinizing and low carbohydrates. So, incorporating th- that into my diet as well as lifestyle factors that improve our physiology, stress management, and those issues. And so that became my keto green approach. But not only that, so going from that stage, near bankruptcy, getting clear, using shifting to use ketones for fuel over glucose for my brain. Because as we enter this transition stage of menopause, we become less able to use glucose for fuel in the brain because it's an estrogen-dependent process. So switching to ketones, at least periodically, really powers up our brain. And so that helped me with clarity, that helped me experience The peace, like biblically it says, the peace that surpasses all understanding. It helped me experience that in a time of of turmoil in my life. And I would say to be the ocean, not the waves or the eye of the storm, right? To have that peace, calm center, that healthy foundation where you can respond instead of react. And so that combination of getting keto alkaline or keto green helped me get into that state and thereby make some really good decisions, you know, shift from a state of near bankruptcy to creating products and programs that help me, and then help others. So the entrepreneurial side of things, and shift me from that point to a seven figure business. And in addition, the best part of it, yes, I lost the weight, kept it off. The mental clarity, And the sense of peace and ability to manage my emotions or to actually feel more at peace on a regular basis, manifesting the healthiest relationships of my life now with my daughter, with my employees, with, you know, my friends and and special relationships in my life. So manifesting the healthiest relationships in my life. And one of my clients who I taught this approach to, she said, you know, not only do I like my family better but they like me better too. And I completely get that.
0: Dr. Stephanie Estima, welcome back to the Anthropology Podcast. I am
2: just tickled to be here, Megan.
0: Your whole world is exploding now. You've got an amazing podcast. You've got an awesome book coming out. Give us the recap on the life of Dr. Stephanie Estima over the last year and a half.
2: Yeah. So it's been, uh, there's been quite a few changes. So last time we were on, that I was on this podcast, we were talking about keto. I was in the process at that time, sort of perfecting my, uh, you know, protocols, which are in uh, the book that I am releasing. So I'll we can certainly get to that today. But uh, we were talking about keto and how it's not the same for women, and that really was born out of patterns that I both saw in myself and in the patients that I was counseling and uh, doing some nutrition counseling for. So uh, in April twenty nineteen, and I don't recall if that was before or after we spoke. I have to go back and look. But I decided to close down my brick and mortar practice. It was something... I've talked to you about this offline. I was talking to you about mm-hmm. this offline for, I think, years before I actually did it. But um, just my frustration... I mean, I, uh, let me let me qualify this and say, I ran my dream practice. So it was a lot of brain, like a lot of functional neurology, a lot of brain health, a lot of brain metabolism, proxies to help up level brain health. That's where I love to geek out. I know you love that as well. And it was, it was just this like niggling feeling that just became so loud. I could not continue to ignore it. And it was just that I wanted to be getting this message out to women in a bigger capacity. And the clinic you know it was it was like the easy ticket right i had built it up it was very you know steady uh, predictable income but i still had this sort of like pounding in the background it eventually became a pounding and then a scream where i could no longer ignore it for me to close the close the brick and mortar and then move into the online space to help Reach a, a larger a larger audience around um, some of my body of work. So since April 2019, I took a little bit of time off. After that, I had to grieve a little bit that I was no longer in physical practice, and that was. I, I'm sure you run into this a lot with with doctors who transition because it's it's part of your identity, right? And you. Spend, I just wrote
0: that down. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's you know you go to professional. I mean, first you do like your four years in university, and then you do your professional degree, and then you know. in in my case, I never stopped taking classes. So you've just been always, you know, mastering your craft and your technique and the art of diagnosis. And can I learn another chiropractic technique? And let me learn a little bit about brain health here. And, and, you know, so it was this constant um, addition to who I was as a doctor. So there was a time afterwards, I'd probably say, um, maybe... you know, four or five months where I was just grieving, like I was just taking time off, taking it easy, sleeping in a little bit, crying a lot, trying to figure out what I was
1: going to do. Uh,
2: there was there was there was a lot of crying, and um, and then I decided uh, late, uh, well, like maybe the f- third quarter, yeah, towards the end of September in 2019 to start a podcast. This is something. I had always wanted to do. It's something I had just put on the back burner because there was no bandwidth for me to do it being in physical practice. So I said, okay, well, let me do one of my dreams. Let's start the podcast and still going strong, absolutely loving it. And And then in, I want to say, say around the same time, I was like, okay, I'm starting a podcast and I also know that I need to download. I have a couple of books sort of knocking around like marbles inside my head. So let me download, let me get one of them out. Um, And then that's been, you know, about a year and a half process. And now I'm just ready. I'm ready to birth my book, baby. I'm ready. She's ready to come out.
0: Sometimes when people have gone through trauma and been able to come out the other side and then, you know, evangelize and, and create product around it, It's like, okay, great. Well, that maybe worked for you. But what I really love about this approach is that not only did you go, okay, here was my journey and here's what worked for me. You layered that with, oh, and I happened to have already been an expert in uh, obstetrics and gynecology and women's health and women's hormones. So we, we layered a whole new level of medical experience on it and credibility and scientific validity to it. And, and I think it's, it's sort of the trifecta of the coming together of those experiences that make your solution and your system. I know with keto, everyone hears this this word and I, I really want to unpack your keto green system because I feel as though people go, they hear keto and they hear menopause and they hear, oh, some weight stuff. Everyone's going to hear their, their particular pain points and then they're just going to go, Google the, a ketogenic diet and be like, that oh, didn't work. Just like everything else I tried didn't work. What are the key foundational pieces that women need to have in place, not just in menopause, but frankly, from a hormone balancing perspective as they are moving through life? And then let's layer some of the the keto principles that you talked about on top of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that starts, it all starts with a good foundation. And so when I build out my programs, it's more than what we eat. But I also want to emphasize. So, you know, and just put emphasis on the fact that I was a hormone expert, right? Mm -hmm. And I was still, and I was still struggling. So, and, and if I was struggling, how many other people are struggling thinking, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my body? And it's, you know, there's a physiology, there's a physiological component to it. And then when we gain control of that, it, it, everything falls into place. It really, really does. And I emphasize that because, you know, physiology drives our behavior. So when we're, especially in this transition, this empowering transition process of perimenopause and menopause, especially when we're in this transition, that we can be power, we can powerfully use behaviors to control our physiology and empower physiology to improve our behaviors. So, they're combined.
0: Can I just ask one question before we jump into it? Because, and I mean this with total respect for what Western medicine has to offer because they have good things to offer, but where are they missing the boat on this hormone piece because um, you know, I I feel as though there has been no further sophistication in thinking other than, you know, your premenopausal will just stick you on the pill and your postmenopausal will put you on hormone replacement therapy. And this whole endocrine thing, it's really not that complicated. So um why? Why are we still missing the boat in that in in the traditional, in the traditional system?
1: I really believe it's a function of industry. honestly, Megan, because it's the patentable approach to things is one drug, one action, right? Is what can, and we can't patent natural compounds unless we're patenting delivery or composition or process and things like that, right? And, and I think that's a problem. I also believe that while the intention may be good. For much of, of course, it's good for physicians going into medical practice, sacrificing their most, you know, um, vital years of our life to this higher level of learning and to serve others. I mean, we want to help people, right? But the tools we're given often only serve as band-aids or reactionary. And the other part is it's a dual approach, right? Because as individuals, we need to be empowered to take care of our own health. We need to be empowered versus relying on the powerful system and the insurance system. You know, this is what's recommended. I pay this insurance. This is what it provides. And I think it's a dual problem. It's a problem with the insurance companies. It's a problem with um, ideas that, you know, someone else is responsible for your health. We ultimately are responsible for your health. And that's when I teach in my book, I talk about this in my book, The Hormone Fix, because we have to take that responsibility. And I, I say, don't give me the control over your health. Don't even give it to me. And I'm pretty awesome now. <laughs> <laughs> you so are. Don't even, yes. Don't even give it to me. You take the control
0: of your own health because you have to discern what's working for you and what's not. Women are not many men. Mm-hmm. And that's how we are traditionally uh, treated in this dialogue around keto, this dialogue around intermittent fasting it's actually, it's really frustrating when you try to take that information or you buy those books and you're like, I'm going to do this. And you're and then suddenly you're in a state of, oh my gosh, like what has just happened to my hormones? I thought this was supposed to make me feel better. And this is actually making me feel worse. And so the resources out there for women are not plentiful. And, and the conversations by men are always like, they're, they're non-inclusive. Can you give us an overview on uh, on what you are referring to when you're talking about the betty body which is the name of your the name of your book and a huge part of your process what are we what are we stepping into when we open the pages later today
2: I thought long and hard about the title. So as you know, whenever you write content, there's, you know, there's a birthing process that happens there. And then once the content was finished, I was like, okay, how am I going to sort of wrap this up in a bow? And the easy and most obvious choice was to name it The Betty Body. And I'll give you a little bit of backstory in terms of how that name came to be. So uh, I have a, so my podcast, as I mentioned, the name of the podcast is called Better. So Better with Dr. Stephanie, it's not about being perfect. It's just like, what can we do tomorrow? Or what can we do today to get better tomorrow? That's sort of the whole through line of the show. And so we started calling the fans of Better our Bettys. So the little, you know, this very similar uh, sounding, Better Bettys. And it really just was very sticky. So <laughs> women started calling themselves Bettys. Like, I, I'm a Betty. You're the Queen Bee. You're the Queen Betty. And I'm going to be just like you. And I want to be a Betty. And so we would we would see these reviews come in on the podcast saying, Oh my gosh, I'm such a betty. I'm so happy to be a Betty. And We, my partner, who you know very well, Giovanni, uh, looked up the definition of Betty in the Urban Dictionary. Now, Urban Dictionary is not PubMed, right? (laughs) However, (laughs) you know, it does have some authority, has some street cred. And uh, in the definition, it was uh, honestly my perfect avatar of a woman. It was, and I'm paraphrasing here, I don't have the exact definition in front of me, but it was something like, you know, a Betty is a triple threat. She's somebody who is smart and loving and quirky and beautiful on the inside, as well as the outside. She's a lifelong learner, all of these wonderful things. And I said, that's it. Like, that's who I am. I aspire to be this Betty. And so do my listeners. So I named the book after my fans and the fans of the podcast. And so the subtitle of the book is, A Geeky Goddess's Guide to Intuitive Eating, Balanced Hormones, and Transformative Sex. And in the book, we talk about how to self-actualize. And the premise is that you're already everything that you need. You're already exactly who you need to be. You're already your own dream girl, but it's just a matter of, you know, maybe you've lost yourself along the way and we're going to give you some tools. We give you many, many tools over the 13 chapters that you can sort of pick and choose to get yourself back to where you want to be on road on the road to self-actualization.
0: What does this whole process have to do with keto?
2: Well, I love playing around with different nutritional uh, mediums for affecting change. And I am someone who has played with keto now, have been uh, in and out of keto for many, many years. And I think that it is one of the most powerful tools when it is done correctly. And specifically, if you are a female, when you do it in a female, when you are honoring your own biology and your physiology, it can be one of the most powerful tools for up leveling your brain, your focus, your, you know, a lot of women who tend to follow me are somewhere in the, you know, 40 to 55 year old sort of age range. And one of the big comments that I get is, I'm not sleeping well, I have brain fog, I feel inflamed and I feel hot, I feel like my hormones are a mess. So a ketogenic diet, when it's done properly for a female's body, can be a very effective tool to help rid some of these sources of chronic Low grade inflammation, because that's what brain fog is. It's chronic low grade inflammation. And even though inflammation is sort of like an umbrella term, it's kind of like pain. Like, what do you mean, pain? You know, like, is it sharp? Is it shooting? Is it deep? Is it, you know, there's all, the, there's a lot of different qualifiers for what inflammation is. But using nutrition as a proxy for healing some of these metabolic derangements can be incredibly powerful to help facilitate energy in a woman, to help her lose weight, if that's a goal of hers, to help with her brain function, as I mentioned, and to help with her longevity, right? We know that consumption of carbohydrates, especially high consumption of processed carbohydrates is associated with all cause mortality, meaning that all sources of, you know, the big ones that we're talking about, the cardiovascular, the cerebrovascular, the stroke, the cancer, the... Uh, excess carbohydrates is associated with all of these big, uh, these big killers. So when we can begin to approximate and have a carbohydrate appropriate diet, which is through, you know, the process that I talk about in the book is sort of two phases. The first is there's a nutritional intervention. So we have like a therapeutic time where you are staying in ketosis But then, as a woman, you shouldn't stay there. (laughs) So that's one of the things that I think really uh, delineate myself from other people in the keto space, where it's like, no. You know, a lot of people say this is how our ancestors ate, and you have to be in ketosis all the time. And you know, that's absolutely not true for a woman. We know that as women, we are much more defensive of our fat stores. We actually need a little bit of extra padding, particularly when we're in our menstrual or our reproductive years, to be able to um, effectively bring about a menstrual cycle every month or so. So there's, there's different tools and tricks that we go through in the book in terms of cycling in and out of ketosis to still be able to get some of that metabolic adaptability and flexibility. But then we also... Focus on other things that are really important for women, like lean muscle mass and dense bones, and things like that. So we talk about different nutritional or macronutrient compositions, like cycling protein up and down, to help facilitate that as well.
0: To me, this notion of intuitive eating is not oh, I intuitively want to bake potato chips, or I intuitively like want to self indulge, which is where I feel like sometimes we give ourselves permission to go. But I almost feel like what you're talking about is a cellular intuition. That we have this blueprint that is waiting for us to self-actualize upon in terms of the nutrition that we engage in and the way that we engage in. How do you view this connection between you know, what you just described, keto as a tool, and this overarching term of intuitive eating that you discuss in the book?
2: Well, I think that, as to your point, I think that a lot of times people will say, Oh, I want to, you know, sit down and have a bag of potato chips. And that's really me engaging in self care. And we don't, when we think, and, and <laughs> when it's, you say that, it sounds so. It sounds ridiculous. Yeah, it sounds ridiculous. (laughs) You know, but our bodies don't want that. Our bodies, you know, and I know that you as a naturopathic doctor also hold this premise that, uh, you know, and chiropractors and naturopaths were sort of sisters in this way, that your body has this natural desire to want to achieve homeostasis, balance and health. And that the more that you can give yourself those tools, the more that your body is going to express health. You know, when we often think about sitting on the couch at the end of the day, that's how we relax. Well, that's actually not very relaxing for the body because what you're doing is just sitting in a state of flexion, which is very likely what you've done all day long. You've likely been at your desk or you've driven to work or you've gotten the kids or you've been you've been sitting a lot. What your body craves is low grade movement in extension. So that might be a walk, that might be, you know, maybe doing some light weights where you're working your back or you're doing any variety of light movement. That's actually how we hack into our parasympathetic nervous system, which is To say, when you're engaging in self-care, you know, we do these things that are going to activate centers in our brain, like the motor cortex, which is in the front part of our brain, that is going to now inhibit some of the lower brain centers that are involved uh, in our sympathetics and our stress response. What we define as intuitive, like you were saying, like, you know, to sit and have, uh, you know, some cookies or chips or crackers, I think when you begin to attune to the language of your body, you know, whether that is uh, through symptoms and accepting those symptoms for what they are, but then having a lens to try and ameliorate them or it's knowing that you are worthy, that your body and your cells are worthy of nourishing food. I think that that's when we move into what truly is intuitive eating. And that is to say, learning to appropriately respond to your body in a way that your cells require of you and they expect of you. Your body does not expect you to eat potato chips. And I know that that might sound harsh and I hope that this is not you know, coming across as, as tough love, but your body wants to be healthy be. and you know that chips are not, I mean, sometimes it's warranted. Listen, like I'm homeschooling my kids right now. Like tonight we're ordering pizza. I'm tired of cooking. Like, you know, there is like every Friday night we have a little, like we like we loosen up the belts for the most part, it's it's that 80-20 rule, right? It's what you are doing most of the time that is going to render the biggest results. So, do you have to be perfect all the time? Absolutely not. I completely reject the idea of perfection anyway. I think it's a patriarchal sexist construct. But I think that as long as you are committing to progress, you are, conti- you are committing to the idea that you are worthy of eating well, then you will begin to make smaller, minute changes in your eating patterns that over the long term amalgamate into these momentous, very large changes in your metabolism, in your body composition, in your energy, in your mood, and all the things that most people are concerned about.
0: So if step one is Take control of your health and take responsibility for your health. What are some of the other foundational pieces that you have found to be so critical? And I'm assuming these all work synergistically. It's not like you can pick and choose. You got to have these things in in check.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and one of the programs I teach online, my magic menopause program, you know, I go through, I said, it's not just about what we eat. It's about 25% of what we eat, 75% of these greater things. So number two is to recognize that there's a lifestyle component. In order to be well, we have to think well, move well, sleep well, eat well, and uh, relate well to be well. So there's a combination of things in addition to eat well. There's a multifactorial effect. And so for me and starting my clients, you know, one of the things that um, I would have clients do is they come into the office with a myriad of symptoms, right? Anxiety, PMS, you know, the symptom of hating your husband, but it's only two, week, two weeks out of the month. It's typically your hormones and not your husband, right? Not to mention the irregular cycle. So when a client will come to my office, the second step would be to detox them is, you know, I take an inventory questionnaire, just like the ones in my book, start a 21 day detox. And now I call it my keto green detox. So it would be eliminating the inflammatory foods, making foods, you know, encouraging foods that are alkalinizing, low carbohydrate and alkalinizing. And really more about less of, of what we're doing and, and staying true to the whole foods. So kind of basically, that if you can pick it, peel it, fish it, hunt it, milk it, grow it, then for the most part, you can eat it, you know, staying with real food. So, I would have them do that when I draw the blood work, send them home. Maybe I'm adding on some of my Mighty Maca Plus additional detoxification support to help their body remove toxins during this time period. And when clients would come back, they would say, I'm already 90% better, 90% better. And then I would tweak with maybe some bioidentical progesterone, especially over age 40, as we enter this neuroendocrine vulnerability. And I want to fine tune, I want to tank up the progesterone because it's neuroprotective and it's a precursor to our sex hormones. So, sometimes adding a little transdermal progesterone here can be beneficial if we need to. And so, just with those two interventions, detoxification, getting rid of, you know, getting rid of sugar, inflammatory foods, processed foods artificial flavorings, sweeteners, preservatives, all of those things can make a big difference. And in my keto green way, it's it's like I said not just about what we eat but when we eat is a part of that too. So extending the third step would be extending intermittent fasting from 13 to 16 hours between dinner and breakfast. So we want to keep our body give our body time to get nicely, Nice low levels of glucose, really good fasting levels of glucose and become more insulin sensitive and work to get our body into ketosis to start using reserved fat for fuel versus in the keto lifestyle. It's often we're using the fat in our diet. We want to tap into our own fat reserves for the most part. Most of us have a few extra, you know, to get rid of. I have some well stored. So tapping into our fat for fuel to use that for um to get ketones because glucose is a fuel source, but glucose is to gasoline as ketones are to jet fuel. Once you start to realize that our society is very much based
2: for what are more male constructs, we can, we can begin then to say, okay, so how do I fit into this picture? What are my rhythms and, and, and rituals? And what's my cadence? And what does my cycle look like? And for women, we go through our entire hormonal milieu over the course of about a month, whereas men will cycle through it daily, right? So once we even just that piece, if that's the only thing that you take away from this conversation, you're already ahead. You're already miles ahead of other women who are trying to fit into this patriarchal, more male-based um, system. And I, and I will just say as well, I love men. Okay. So I always, I always want to pre-frame this. (laughs) I I love men. There's nothing, you know, I have a, I love my man. I love, I have two sons, you know, I'm, so I love men, but what I think has been lost is this beautiful hormonal, this ever-changing ebb and flow of the female hormonal landscape has been lost, and women are not aware of why they feel different at certain times of the month, and they try to put their head down and punch through it. And this is where we run into problems. So in the book, I basically go through how to set up a morning routine, which is, you know, and, and Potentially a little, a little bit of you know controversial. It's a little, uh, you know, controversial in that I start off the chapter by saying I think most morning routines are sexist. You know, it's like there's all these morning routines where men get up at some ungodly hour. It's like four o'clock in the morning or something, and they're journaling for an hour, and then they have this beautiful tea ceremony that they have, and then they work out for an hour, yeah, a and shower, then, and then they take a cold shower, and then and then it's like, okay, where are the kids? Like. <laughs> You know, as a woman, we are often the primary caregivers. And if this, if that man has children, it's very likely that his wife uh, or, or potentially help is, is raising those kids. And if that's, if that's something that he can afford or that's afforded to him, like, bless you, right? Like, all the more power to you. But as a woman, I don't want a woman who is now the primary caregiver of her children to be like, why can't I wake up at four in the morning? First, women have longer sleep cycles, so you shouldn't be waking up that early. But also, sometimes when my when my kids were young, and I don't know if this is true for you, um, Doc, or not, but my morning routine was sometimes like my kids coming into my bedroom and waking me up. Like, that was my morning routine, you know?
0: There was no potential for a morning Routine for a very long time, yeah. And it, and and once I let go of it, it was this massive relief. I was like, okay, I'll start it once Raylan sleeps through the night, and then I'll start it once Bella sleeps through the night. I've been at this for ten years now, and right. you know now we're at a point where eighty percent of the time they'll sleep through the night, and those twenty percent, there is no morning routine that happens, and that is the permission I've given myself. I was like, you sleep is the number one priority. Mm-hmm absolutely when it gets disrupted and so i go to i go to plan h of the morning routine um based on what happened the night before
2: Yes. And that flexibility of thinking is so healthy because what women typically do is they say, well, there must be something wrong with me. Like what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this morning routine that, you know, whoever is, is, is touting. And if you actually look in the morning routine genre, (laughs) it tends to be men. It tends to be males who are saying, you know, wake up two hours earlier, three hours early before everyone wakes up. And for men, that's really great, right? It's really great for their energy, for their growth hormone, testosterone levels. It's supporting that but for women we can't i mean it's just it's just an impossibility so i love this idea of flexibility in your morning routine so as you just mentioned sometimes I have a five minute morning routine. (laughs) Because sometimes it's I'm just dancing to a song. And other times the kids, you know, and I go downstairs, I have a little home gym that I work out of. And we'll do, you know, they'll jump on the trampoline for a little bit. And I'll, I'll try to punch out some weights. And other times it's nothing at all, right? So I think that getting rid of some of the shame and guilt that we have as women that we carry because we can't act exactly like men or the, the things that men can do, I think is really important.
0: What are some of the tenets of the keto green way in terms of uh, how how women can expect to experience their diet if they're doing this? You mentioned the intermittent fasting, but what are some of the other elements?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, you touched on the key difference between the process, even the order of the way we do things, how that can make a really big difference. So for me, the keto green way starts with getting alkaline first. And I have clients check their urine pH. And I tell you why. It is another vital sign. Just like the weight on our scale or blood pressure or pulse or temperature is another by our vital signs. The urine pH is a vital sign. It tells us how well are we doing? Because it tells us more than about how are we getting enough healthy nutrients. I mean, I've had vegan vegetarians acidic with their urine pH. And they're like, why am I? Well, how's your stress level? Are you in a toxic environment or toxic relationship? cortisol, increases in cortisol, PTSD can increase, I mean, absolutely decreases our urine pH makes it more acidic. So increases our acidity. And that's a key realization, because then we're robbing Peter to pay Paul, right, we're going to take nutrients from our bones, muscle, nervous system, right, to use these nutrients for maintaining our blood pH, which has to be maintained very, very specifically. And we don't measure blood pH, because it's pretty well maintained, unless we're severely ill, is that going to um, fluctuate significantly, but our urine pH is a barometer. It is measuring okay. How are we doing today? And, and I first recognized this when I was going uh, into ketosis, and I was having those keto crazy symptoms. I would check my urine pH. I'm like, I'm acidic, acidic, acidic. Well, in functional medicine, I call it functional gynecology. That urine, that alkaline urine pH, really helps with you know, gives us the power of healthy detoxification, helps with hormone balance, and just recognize that you know, it feels better when we have an alkaline your pH. And so certainly the, the diet helps, but the mornings I would walk on the beach, you know, barefoot walk on the beach, I would be alkaline all day. I would be alkaline all day. And I was like, huh, doing the same things, eating the same things, but the walk on the beach, now I know, drove down my cortisol level. So I had a healthier physiology to start the day with versus the mornings I woke up, maybe had a keto coffee. And was stressed because I had to run three kids to the to three different schools, right?
0: <laughs> so I know that acidic
1: well. all day. Yes, acidic all day. So, you know, uh, utilizing that made a difference. And another, uh, So first thing is get alkaline your pH is really work on the alkalinizers in your in your food choices, low carbohydrate alkalinizers. So there's greens and sprouts and and healthy food choices, as well as The lifestyle, meditation, yoga, what gives you pleasure, go walking on a walk on a beach, having laughter with a friend, you know, having sex with your partner. Those things are alkalinizing activities. Oxytocin is a powerful alkalinizer. So that hormone of love, bonding and connection. So that would be the first thing is get an alkaline pH. And then the second is work on intermittent fasting and and, um, dropping down those carbs to get keto. So, healthy fats, we need fats for fuel and fats to decrease our appetite and decrease our cravings. So, avocado, olive oil, you know, Mediterranean style food choices, if you think of it that way, avocado, salmon, you know, healthy meat from grass-fed cows and um, nuts and seeds and really micronutrient-dense nutrients. And once we add in these healthy fats and good quality protein, our body's not having those cravings, and if we keep carbohydrates nice and low, we're not going to have those hypoglycemic effects that people say. Well, I can't get into ketosis because I get hypoglycemia. Hundred percent have kicked that in. Hundred percent of my patients that had that complaint. So, because our blood sugar is not dipping way back down after a carbohydrate meal, we're not going to get hypoglycemia. We create glycemic stability, which I've monitored with twenty-four hour. Um, blood sugar monitors, and so that that's a huge thing. So it, uh, start with getting an alkaline urine pH. Adding in the alkalinizers, get alkaline first. Second, intermittent fasting. Get into keep work on getting into ketosis through healthy choices, and that intermittent fasting and stopping snacking is critical for women. We are more designed in the menopause and postmenopause to live this keto green way. We really are the healthy centarians the healthy 80 year olds, 90 year olds that I know, um, had limited their own eating styles to a very similar way. You know, small meal at dinner, hence the senior specials. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Small early dinner, eat before 7pm. You know, just the, and that and that intuitively created a healthier physiology, right? So, these lifestyle characteristics that have been developed over, over time on an individual level or over centuries on a cultural level to increase the longevity, the longevity of a society, a healthy longevity, right? Living in a nursing home the last 20 years of our life is not a healthy longevity. And that's all of this, you know, mental and neurologic degeneration from honestly, you know, poor fuel choice, right? We're using glucose instead of ketones. We switch that and we optimize that. And then a key point that I want to mention is I alluded to it, like the alkanizing behaviors is I start each morning with appreciation, prayer and meditation. And that just that changes my outlook for the day. I have a better day when I do that consistently. I have a better day when I do that consistently. And so do my patients, creating a morning ritual sets us up for success.
0: We have a series of rapid fire questions. We call these KPIs. So key performance indicators, just like we have them in our business. I believe we also have them in how we live our own lives. Um, So indulge me. I've got I've got a few things coming your way. First question, who is inspiring you right now?
1: Man, you know, I would have to say JJ Virgin, our mutual friend, right? Because she stays true and authentic to her mission, her goal and uh, quality of life that serves her and serves community. She's the rising tide that floats all boats and she is inspiring me. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I love that. She really, uh, she walks the talk and she leads by example. Great choice. Um, What are you reading right now? I am reading
1: um, The Tattooist of Auschwitz.
0: Mm, Right now that That was
1: referred to me. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, powerful, powerful, powerful. What is the one thing you're most consistent with? with respect to your health?
1: I am most consistent with alkalinizers, with getting greens in my system. Like that's a component. I'm like, you know, my plate every day, you know, every meal has to have something that's alkalinizing, balancing on it as a regular because I, knew, I know how damaging stress, cortisol, and trauma is to my physiology and I have to constantly counteract it. And then it just creates, it, it does create a fullness uh, more. I think I'll, I'll call it a higher connection with nature
0: as, as I do that. What is something totally badass about you that people would not otherwise know? Oh, man, I'm a boxer. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you are.
1: I I love that. I am. It's one of the best workouts. I started doing it in Australia, in Melbourne, Australia, gosh, in 2007. And it was a meditation for me. It's the only activity like just hitting the mitts with another person, not necessarily being hit, but hitting hitting, uh, mitts or mitt work, it's called, or bag work is the time that my you know, brain empties and it became a meditation. So, and it, and it makes great shoulders for those off the shoulder blouses we love.
0: <laughs> brilliant, multifaceted. What do you do for fun or play?
1: Um, for fun and play, really it's cooking in the kitchen with my kids. I love that. I absolutely love that. And then travel whenever we can. So there, but that cooking in the kitchen, we'll pour a glass of wine, we'll eat. Okay, so my 11 year old does not get wine. <laughs> to be clear. But <laughs> to be clear. But um, but my older girls do and, and we'll talk, cook, chop, or, you know, and just laugh and enjoy that and make a beautiful, loving creation. So when we have the opportunity, we're all together to do that. That is that that just that just lights me up. That
0: sounds so lovely. And last question for you, entrepreneurism, are we born this way? Or do we learn to become entrepreneurs?
1: We are born with a tremendous imagination. The ability to imagine is a natural for entrepreneurship. So I would believe I believe that each of us has it in us.
0: Fantastic. It's my favorite question to ask. Dr. Annika Becca, author of The Hormone Fix. It's such a pleasure having you here today. Thanks for being with us. Can you give everybody three critical things that they can deploy immediately in their life that is going to start them on this path of heightening their intuition with with self and caring for their bodies in a whole new way.
2: Sure. I think that the very first thing that you can do that's super easy is just download some sort of fertility app and start tracking your cycle if you're not already. And I did not do this for years, like full disclosure. I had no idea when my period was coming and going, had no idea how long it was. So I think one of the best things that you can begin to do is just start amalgamating data. So first thing would be to uh to start tracking your cycle. If I may be so bold to suggest that you pick up my book, I think that you will find it. It's <laughs> not- like
0: be bold, be bold.
2: <laughs> it is my book baby. I'm so proud of it and I hope that it's going to be at least in some way give you one tool that you can derive from it whether it's you know you know cycling plans for cycling your body in and out of ketosis where it's going full in in ketosis where it's workouts where it's supplementation rhythms um that would be you know my second uh, suggestion and then the third suggestion would just be to to take the opportunity to be gentle with yourself. I think as women, especially type A personalities, of which I am a former recovering type A personality, it is still a daily struggle. But whenever we decide to do something, we want it right now. We want the. Or we're like, okay, I'm gonna work out. I'm gonna work out. So I'll work out for a week. So where's my like where's my where's my biceps? I don't see them yet. You know, so we we have this very short time that we give ourselves. So I would love if in conjunction with the book, and the cycle, uh, the cycle tracking that you're going to be doing, that you just make it easy, like you just decide that I'm not going to have these punitive thoughts that are going to beat myself up if I'm not getting the results that I want in a week or two weeks or a month or two months. You know, as a clinician, as you are, Megan, and what my clinical experience tells me is that when someone does have some sort of hormonal derangement, it takes some time to undo that. You know, you need to be able to give yourself a long runway A lot of grace and a lot of love and a lot of forgiveness in order to continue to tread Along that path. So I would just love if women stop being so hard on themselves and to stop with the punitive thoughts because it is just, you know, when we think about, you know, what can be damaging in terms of your metabolism, you know, you have a piece of cake and okay, so maybe your insulin spikes and, you know, there's a sort of two hour time where your insulin levels are much higher, but then it's kind of done. Right. But if you are constantly beating yourself up about things that is day and night, All day, every day, that is going to bring you into that sympathetic dominance that we touched on before. And you're just going to be a stress case. So I would just love it if women were like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do all these things, but I'm just going to make it easy and trust that my body knows what to do. My favorite health hack, I would say that it is probably the most simplest of hacks, but it is, you know, it's my philosophy that health doesn't really need to be hard. So I will counsel uh, anyone if they're trying, if weight loss is a goal for them, or they're just trying to be more mindful and develop that intuitive muscle um, to put their fork down in between bites. And I know that that's super, you're probably, yeah, like people are probably like, okay, whatever. (laughs) But I promise you, you're giving yourself the space to fully chew your food, first of all, which is really important for the amylase and the digestive capacity of your body. But you're also giving your hunger signals, some of these metabolic signals to signal whether or not you are full when you are eating slower instead of just barreling everything into your mouth in five minutes or less. So, Putting the fork down in between bites is probably my favorite, my favorite health hack of all time.
0: How would you define your purpose?
2: Oh, this is a really good one. My purpose, I think, I feel, and I know that my purpose is to speak to women in a way that they probably haven't been spoken to before and to help facilitate um, what I think is just very overdue which is healing our feminine and we talked a little bit about masculine energy before and this is not gender specific right so this is like masculine energy and our feminine energy and i think that for most of us male female and everything in between i think that we have really divorced ourselves from, suppressed and ignored the intuition, the surrender, the slowing down, and the softness the softness that um, our feminine energy can provide. So... It is not only a personal goal of mine to continue to heal that wounded feminine in my own you know, heart and soul, but to also teach other women and anybody else who wants to come along for the ride how to do it as well.
0: I love it. Well, congratulations on the book and thank you again for hanging out with me today. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel, and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact.